0: Lost Radio.
1: Welcome to another segment of broadcasting politics with Cisco Costa and tonight we have a special guest, Michael Mavie, author of the Civil Defense book. Command Sergeant Major Michael Mavie works with the Secure the Grid Coalition to hold the government and the electrical electric in the industry accountable to protect the U.S. electrical grid. He'll be here and he'll be able to give you more details. Um, Excited? I mean, our good friend Annie Burdell um, provided us with this excellent guest, which I appreciate, Annie. Um, We've been looking forward to having him here. Well, it's really you know, in the UK, this whole situation of Let's attack and let's really, really go after Donald Trump. It was, it was a comedy. I mean, uh, you know, you saw posters and impeachment. And it's like, have the British people gone crazy? I think so. Yes. I mean, come on. You know, it's, 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 you, know you, you, you don't have to like the man. You don't have to agree with him. But the the things that they did out there, they look like fools. I mean, come on, grow up. I mean, the UK has enough problems and Donald Trump is not one of them, okay? They have so many jihadists wrecking havoc on the British people. And what Theresa May do to resign you know forget about the Brexit you know you know and the British people are worried about Donald Trump come on you know worry about your whole situation in the the Euro worry about the the, the loss of businesses that are leaving England and that you know London is becoming a shithole all right. We have a shithole mayor. So, Donald Trump is not your concern. You have a lot more to be concerned about. On the other hand, Mexico finally is waking up, I believe. I think the tariffs are working. The pressure on the Mexican government, on the Mexican socialist government, it's actually working. So uh, they basically, according to the reports, they stopped another load of other caravan that was coming from Central America, from Honduras, Guatemala, and San Salvador. All those beautiful, beautiful places where people want to stay. So I think, I think what Trump, again, you don't have, I don't agree with Donald Trump on everything. I don't. You know, but I think this whole situation with the border—he's—he's—he's—he's he's, 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 he's the only one that has actually, since I was born, he's the only president that actually is doing something about the border, southern border. Um, so I don't, you know, I—I I can understand one party not liking it because they have special interests in allowing all these individuals to come in. So I get it. I get it. But that means you're putting those people ahead of the American people and ahead of the country and that's not. So I personally believe that we need to do that on a consistent basis. Not with just not just with Mexico, but with all the countries that are that actually we have an actual border with Because we need to get control of the border. We lose the border. We lost the country. And everything else is is irrelevant. So I totally, I'm very, very happy that the Mexican government, the socialist Mexican government is finally stepping up to the plate. It's about time. So, Welcome, our guest, Michael. How how are you? I'm
0: doing great, Cisco. Thank you so much for having me.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, We we're so happy that you're here tonight. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Uh, uh, I I did a basic introductory uh, of of who you are. Uh, Expand that.
0: Sure. Um, I'm actually. Uh, I've got a lot of experience both in the United States and overseas uh, seeing what the world looks like when things go wrong. So um, I come from a military background. I'm a retired uh, command sergeant major, did uh, two tours uh, in the Middle East, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and provide comfort. And then in 2004, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And also um, I've done a couple of humanitarian missions um, after Hurricane Mitch in uh, Guatemala. And uh, lately, um, I am working with the Secure the Grid Coalition, which is a a national coalition of critical infrastructure uh, protection, energy policy experts um, across the country. I mean, some of the the biggest names in uh, critical infrastructure protection. Um, And we work to try to, um, number one, you know, get legislation and hold the government and the electric grid accountable, you know, for hardening itself against uh, threats. And then uh, number two, uh, my other focus is preparing um, people and communities for um, a potential long-term power outage which is a much more real possibility than, than people really know.
1: Right. And one, of the, one of the important data that I discovered was that from 1950 to 1980, power outages averaged five per year. And from 2007 the number went up to 76 2011 300 and i'm quite sure in 2019 it's gone higher it's that the perception uh uh, is that correct data that 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 i'm seeing out there yeah so the let's um let's take
0: a quick step back and talk about what the electric grid is because i think Mm -hmm. that'll be very useful we've all We've all heard that term, electric grid, Um, and uh, pardon my dog's barking in the background. I apologize for that. But um, the electric grid is actually – it's not just one thing, and it's not owned by one person, or it's not owned or controlled by the government. The electric grid is the largest machine in the history of mankind. It's been built over generations uh, starting literally from the 1800s, you know, up through the present, it's been built piece by piece over generations, and it's owned by over pieces of it are owned by over 2,000 different companies, public sector and private sector companies. So there isn't one person or one entity or the government. Um, nobody controls the whole thing. It is self-regulated, and that's another thing that really shocks people uh, when I tell them this. So the the federal government can't tell the electric grid, hey, you need to harden yourself against cybersecurity threats, or you need to harden yourself against electromagnetic pulse or solar flares. Um, The the federal government cannot order the grid to do that. The grid is self-regulated. And hence, that's one of the major problems in trying to harden the electric grid is that the regulatory scheme is mind-numbingly complex. And one of the things that that we're doing in the Secure the Grid Coalition is uh, trying to raise awareness about the threats and also trying to find ways to hold both the grid companies and the government accountable for protecting the American people against these threats.
1: Okay, I mean that's 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 an excellent breakdown on and a better understanding, including myself, a better understanding of how how the grid, what the grid is, and how the grid works, and as, like you said, it's self-regulated. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you back, go back in history. Um, I was in New York City, in Manhattan, in 2006. And there was a, a blackout. And the blackout, the first thing we heard was, we're getting, people on the East Coast get our energy from some parts of uh, Central Canada. And that's the reason that those grid went down, and that's the reason we, were, we had a blackout in New York City. How true is that? How true? That?
0: Yes. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So the great Northeast blackout of 2003, and this is just – it's a yeah. really, really amazing blackout to, um, to talk about. So we're talking about 55 million people that go you know, without power, uh, 45 million in the United States and 10 million in Canada. And this blackout was caused literally – by a tree branch in Ohio contacting Mm -hmm. some electric transmission lines and through a whole series of computer error, human error, machine error, it caused a cascading failure, you know, so it started from, you know, this tree branch contacting the transmission lines Mm -hmm. in Ohio and it cascaded throughout the entire Northeast United States. And what this shows us, it shows us a couple things. But one thing that it shows us is that something that happens in one area of the country can cause a cascading outage that affects much, much larger areas. Now, another thing this showed us was – so after this this blackout – and you and I were both in New York City when this happened. I was actually working um, in Manhattan at the time myself with the federal government. (laughs) Oh, yes. So so I remember this one very well. Well – So this happened, and, you know, it's caused by untrimmed foliage in Ohio, as I said. So everybody lost their minds after this blackout, and they're like, you know, this can't happen again. You know, we need to have a tree trimming standard, you know, in the electric grid. So there's congressional hearings and subpoenas and everything like that. So finally, you know, they they do decide, well, we do need a tree trimming standard. So, you know, hey, electric, oh, and by the way, The electric grid writes its own standards, okay? So the federal government Mm. doesn't, you know, create uh, reliability standards for the grid. The grid, uh, through a nonprofit organization called the North American Electric Reliability Company uh, Corporation, creates its own, it writes its own standards. So it took 10 years after the great northeast blackout of 2003, it took 10 years to get... A transmission vegetation management standard Um, and that just gives you an example so number one about the fragility of the electric grid how you know something can cause a cascading failure and then also um, how ridiculous this regulatory scheme is that after a major blackout like that it takes 10 years to enact a standard you know supposedly to you know prevent it from happening in the future
1: Definitely. I mean, I I was right. As a matter of fact, I was coming out of work, um, right on the second, and between Lexington and Sixth Avenue. And boom! I mean, that was we were luckily at the time. You know, I I, I, I was in Manhattan. So right. I, I could walk I could walk I didn't need to take the train and but at night it was it was pretty pretty scary you know because it was pitch dark everywhere
0: <laughs> it, it it was and now in that particular blackout people behaved but here's another thing that that we've really got to remember you know we're Americans and we like thinking the best of, you know, our fellow Americans. And so sure. when we think of disasters, we certainly like these feel-good stories like Hurricane Harvey and the Cajun Navy going out and rescuing everybody, but that's not always the case. So one thing you've got to bear in mind is societal collapse, and, you know, when the power goes out, people don't always do the right thing. So in the Great Northeast Blackout of 2003, we didn't really see that happen. But let me talk briefly about a couple of other power outages. One of them was the 1977 blackout mm-hmm. in New York City.
1: Yeah, on one And the
0: 77 blackout, yeah, that, that one was only a 24-hour blackout. It was caused by a lightning strike up by the Indian Point nuclear reactor. And, and the nuclear reactor did what it was supposed to do, and it shut itself down, but it cast New York City into darkness. Now, the reason, and, and, you know, it's only a 24-hour blackout, so most, you know, people might think, well, you know, what, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, in that 24 hours, there were 1,000 businesses destroyed by arsonists. There were uh, 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 1,600 um, fires started, 3,700. Uh, seventy six people arrested, and they had to call in the National Guard to restore order in a twenty four hour blackout. So you know what this tells us, and we've seen also examples in Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Harvey, you know, these tell us, you know people don't always do the right thing when there is is a blackout. Um, what The reason this should concern all of us, and I, I think that, you know, From our experience with blackouts, most unless you live in Puerto Rico, most people in the United States, you know, have have experienced blackouts before. And they're temporary. They're a couple hours, maybe a couple days. I mean, the worst one I've been through in the United States was the ice storm in 2011. And we lost power for 11 days, you know, up up in New England, some areas of New England. Um, But for the most part, you know, people in America they expect that, you know, when the power goes out, somebody's going to come and rescue us. You know, we'll bring in utility trucks from, you know, another state, and, you know, they'll restore the power, and, you know, somebody's going to come and save us. But there are circumstances where we could have a larger scale and longer blackout than anybody expects, you know, that that anybody uh, has seen before. So, you know, if people are prepared for blackouts now, they... They tend to think they're going to be very, very short in duration, but what we recently learned, you know, from Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, yeah. was right. that. And, and this is the United States, my friends. You know, I mean, this this is the U.S. This is Puerto Rico, and yeah. when um, Hurricane Maria hit it, it wiped out the entire electric grid on the island of Puerto Rico, and most people in Puerto Rico were without power for a long. Time, many oh, yeah. people were without power for months. And so, you know, can you imagine, everybody listening, can you imagine being without power for months? But it's worse than that. I mean, this is, that's just what, you know, most of us up here in, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, upper continental United States, you know, kind of took from the news as people being without power for months. But people in Puerto Rico were also without potable water for months. Right. You know, they, they, there were people that, that were forced to drink from questionable water sources or even known contaminated water sources. and And this went on for months. We recently also saw down in Venezuela they had a blackout mm-hmm. and after three days, the people in the cities in Venezuela had to start trying to get water out of the sewer system. So, you know, in the United States, you know, the upper United States, let's say, you know, the continental United States, you know, uh, people don't think about a long-term blackout. They just don't think it'll happen because they've never experienced one. Right. But there are circumstances where we could have a national scale or very, very large scale and long-term power outage, you know, that could go on for weeks, possibly months,
1: or even longer. Uh, Michael, uh, we have a caller on the line. Um, let's see. a four three two five one. Do you have a question for Michael?
2: Yes, Michael. Um, what do you think about our national security um, with all of these nuclear plants that are so vulnerable um, that can be compromised? Um, I understand that we have 55 main um, grids, and if nine were to go out, it would cause like 30 years of destruction. Uh, I live right, in Diego, great, great I was about. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, these, these are great questions, Silla, but before I first forget from starting to the beginning, so so we talked about nuclear plants, we definitely should talk about that. And then you were talking about the the extra high voltage transformers, and taking out nine of them could cause a long term blackout. Does that? Yeah, that's um, well, okay. So so let, let's talk about those two first, because um, you know these are you know, topics we could spend a lot of time on. So in the United States, we presently have 99 um, nuclear reactors, uh, you know, that are active. And then we've got a lot of decommissioned nuclear reactors. So now a lot of times people think, you know, once they take a nuclear reactor offline, you know, when they retire it, that now it's safe just because it's not running. Uh, this is not true. um, exactly. there's, um in, in, in these nuclear reactors in the United States, a lot of them have a spent fuel pool, and that has to be kept immersed, um, you know, cooled at all times and if it isn't and you need you need electricity to do that you know you need to to run the pumps to keep the uh, spent fuel rods um, you know immersed in water and if the electricity goes out they do have backup generators but they only carry so much fuel on site to the backup generators Um, if for some reason the backup generators ran out of fuel and they couldn't get more fuel to them then you're in big trouble with these nuclear reactors. You know, you can end up running into multiple Fukushima-type incidents. Um, If anybody is interested in hearing more about this, I would uh, highly recommend... You go to the website of the Foundation for resilient societies it's a nonprofit group up in New Hampshire that actually has been working on this issue of the um, uh, you know making sure that that the nuclear plants and the, the NRC comes up with rules to ensure that if the grid goes down these plants will be safe. This is an ongoing fight it's still going on and the Foundation for resilient societies is a, a group that is out to protect you and your family uh, you know to hopefully prevent this from happening. however, as I said it this this is an ongoing fight. presently, our nuclear plants would be in jeopardy if the electric grid went down nationwide. Um, it would be a very short time before we started running into real real trouble. now, the other thing that you mentioned was that if you so Uh, these extra high voltage transformers and for people who don't know what that is because, you know, uh, not too many years ago I didn't know what it was either uh, until I really started researching this and getting involved. But, you know, when you're driving down the street you see the chain link fence and behind it is all that kind of gray equipment and the uh, big electrical transmission lines going into it and coming out of it. Those are transformers. So in the United States we have approximately 2,000 big, real big, extra-high-voltage transformers. Now, these transformers are no longer made in the United States. They're made in South Korea, and they're made in Germany. The normal lead time to replace one of these is between a year to 18 months. So now, if you lose one of these transformers, the the people in the electric grid are very good about, you know, if if something happens, you know, they can reroute power around and, um, you know. restart power but if you lose you know a couple of these you start to get to the point where you can have cascading failures and it takes a long time months and months and sometimes longer to replace these so where this became an issue and where i I think you're getting this number nine from is in 2013 there was a sniper attack on one of these transformers out in Metcalf, california Mm-hmm. And um, immediately after that happened, Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, which is the company that um, owned that transformer, started saying, well, it was vandalism. But um, about a year later, the, um, the former head of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, um, Wellinghoff, came out and said that this was one of the worst attacks against, you know, the U.S. critical infrastructure, period, in history. And, you know, this, this was not vandalism. The Wall Street Journal reported that this looked like it was a dry run for a terrorist attack. Um, and when you look at the sophistication of this attack, how the multiple assailants first cut the alarm wires, they cut the camera wires, you know, they basically prepped the battlefield, Then they pulled out and, with precisely aimed rifle fire, took out these transformers. They knew exactly what they were shooting at, they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, So after that, um, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission came out with a study, which ended up getting leaked to the Wall Street Journal, that if you took out um, nine key transformers in the United States, it could cause a cascading failure of much of the country. Um, so I think that's where that information comes from that you um, talked about it was from a FERC report that was leaked to the Wall Street Journal in 2014 so now here's something some people uh, that that are listening in might have heard of the Metcalf attack and maybe you didn't but um, in addition to the Metcalf attack there have been numerous other attacks against the electric grid that you know the public just generally doesn't know about for example In 2014, in Nogales, New Mexico, a transformer out there was attacked by an improvised explosive device, which fortunately did not completely detonate, and so it didn't cause any type of an outage there. Also in 2014, there was another sniper attack up at the Buskin Station in Utah. So these physical attacks are a real, real threat to the electric grid. Um, And you would think that after, you know, kind of a series of these physical attacks, that the electric grid would kind of have its stuff together and would be really, really looking at this issue. Well, what the Secure the Grid coalition has uncovered um, in our review of the um, enforcement actions since the Metcalf attack in 2013 is that since 2013 to the present, the physical security standard has only been cited um, six times since Metcalf. And so now we're talking about, you know, thousands of these transformers, and we're talking about control stations, and we're talking about all of these critical pieces of the infrastructure, and yet the physical... Security standard, which in my opinion is weak to begin with, has, has literally not been cited or enforced. Now, if you're interested in more information on this, I would encourage you to go up to my website. I blog about this all the time, and I've done several recent reports about the threats to critical infrastructure. And especially if you're looking to talk, which I encourage everyone to do, if you're looking to talk to your uh, member of Congress, to your representative or your senator, you can go up on my website and you can print out some of my reports and send it to them and say, hey, what are you doing about this? Um, and, my friends, we need to be involved. So we can't just sit back passively and be victims in this and, you know, and let this happen. Yep. We really need to start being loud. Um, our critical infrastructure is under attack right now, It is under attack right now, and Congress has failed to act for decades, even knowing this. And, um, you know, let's really quick talk about cyber as long as we're, we're talking about threats. We know for a fact that the Russians and the Chinese have been in the electric grid, have been doing reconnaissance in the electric grid, have been dropping malware in the electric grid for over a decade, and we failed to kick them out. Um, Just about a week ago, we discovered that the Chinese government is actually a member of the lobbying group, Edison Electric Institute, which has been fighting us on grid security for years. Um, This lobbying group that has actually been lobbying Congress with millions and millions of dollars in donation and lobbying fees, lobbying against. Uh, better security for the grid, and a member of this, you know, a couple of members of this firm are actually the Chinese government.
1: Well, that, that we have a big problem in, in DC, and that's corruption. Uh, but I wanted to touch on the renewable power sources that have grown dramatically. In the, in the in the last couple of years, and one of the one of the criticisms of the electrical grid is that renewable sources can actually keep us going without having any downtime, but the electrical grid cannot deliver those renewable sources that, that green energy talks about, solar panels. Um, one in eight. One in eight houses in Hawaii, one in eight homes in Hawaii is basically equipped with solar panels that provides them with most of the energy. Why is that? I mean, why is the? uh, I mean, I know the electrical grid is kind of old, but they're saying that with the renewable sources, we can basically not worry about the electrical grid going down. Is that true?
0: It, it actually is not true. I, I hope that someday it is true. And I got, you know, I have to be honest with you. Personally, I am all for, you know, anything that doesn't put smoke in the air, I think is great. So I love solar. I love wind. I love hydro. Um, but, you know, let's take, let's take the three of them. Um, hydro, I really love. Now, solar and wind, there's a problem with them. And, and the problem with solar is that the sun only shines for X number of hours a day and some days it doesn't shine much at all, you know, if it's it's raining or snowing. And wind, similarly, you know, uh, the wind isn't constantly blowing. um, So with solar and wind, the problem is um, in order for them to truly be uh, a real 24-hour day solution, um, you would have to have adequate storage to be able to to store it for times when you don't have it. And also, you'd have to be able to generate enough to compensate for demand. Well, in America, uh, we love using as much electricity as we freaking want. And if we want something (laughs) else, we just plug it in, and we don't care. You know, we just – you know, it it just – It seems to be limitless to us, you know, so – and by us, I'm just saying Americans in general. I know most of the people listening here are probably much more cognizant of the problems. But generally speaking, Americans consume so much electricity, and we consume more and more all the time. And just the renewable sources alone are not going to provide our needs, you know, unless we want to seriously curtail our usage, which I think Americans are unwilling to do right now. Um, Right. So, you know, some of the most resilient power sources are presently kind of unpopular. So if you look at coal and nuclear, a lot of people don't like coal and nuclear because of the perception that they're, you know, dirty sources of energy. And I'm, I'm not right. arguing whether they are or they aren't. Um, but, you know, what I am saying is, you know, when you look at coal and nuclear, you can run it 24 hours a day. Um, And so it's resilient. So if you get a heat wave in the summer and you need more power, you can fire up up a coal plant, the wind may not work because during the heat wave maybe there's no wind, you know. um, And, and, you know, nuclear is obviously a very, very steady, you know, long-term source of power. So I I am all for, and I love, you know, the green energy things, but um, presently... You can't do it all with solar and wind. Wish we could, but we can't. We use too much electricity, and solar and wind uh, don't work 24 hours a day, and the storage is just not there yet. You know, we don't have the ability to store enough that that would work. So presently, you know, today in 2019, you know, we do have some areas in the country that are very, very stressed, where the grid is very, very, very stressed. Um, in Texas, you know, which has its own electric grid, they've already been mm-hmm. talking about this summer, yep. we should have enough electricity to make it through, you know. Um, but, but they're, they're going to be on the edge. I mean, if there's a real, real hot spell that they don't expect and everybody flips on air conditioning, you know, at once – they could be in trouble new england um uh, iso new england who's a grid operator uh, up here has been saying for a long time that new england is in real trouble we have got to we have to import um, power into our grid we can't produce enough up here in new england and we're about to shut down uh the pilgrim nuclear power plant in massachusetts and uh people want to shut down a uh coal-fired plant down in Mystic. And if that happens, um, if there's a cyber attack or something and our outside sources of electricity are taken out, we can't produce enough in New England to run the grid in New England. So in places, in various areas of the country, the grid already has stresses. You know, the, the, the grid could already have problems regardless of any other threat, even if that doesn't happen. But now when you add in You know, the threat of a cyber attack, the threat of a physical attack. Um, And we haven't really talked about space weather yet, but that's one of the scariest ones. Um, And and the reason it's scary is that um, it's a 100% certainty that we are going to be hit with a large solar flare at some point in the future. The Earth has been hit by these for billions of years approximately every 100 to 150 years, we get hit by a big one. We get hit by smaller ones, you know, frequently. There was uh, actually one in 1989 that blacked out the province of Quebec, Um, and that was a relatively small solar flare. If we got hit by a large solar flare, our grid is not hardened to withstand that. And those high-voltage transformers that your caller was talking about before, those are susceptible to being damaged by a solar flare. And if you damage those, then you can't replace them. You know, a a large solar flare could cause a protracted blackout in the United States that could last months and months and possibly even years. Hey, Mike. Yes.
2: I have a question.
0: Um, We talked about this before on my show. How... Based upon what information and, and your best guesstimation, what percentage of our population would pass away or if the grid does go down? Because that is granted, we understand question. that there's a certain portion that needs yep. to have power, but we are so hooked on to it, and that's our biggest problem right now. So, we, what do you are, think so, would happen? Uh, I think so. Let's just say that the, you know, power grid went down from, uh, you know, a solar flare. Let's just say that because everybody believes in the sun, so we can all kind of agree that, you know, the sun is up there. So if the grid got taken out by a solar flare, and let's say that the grid was down for a year in most of the places in the United States, the Congressional EMP Commission has estimated that 90 percent, 90 percent, of the US population could perish in a power outage that lasted over a year. Now, you know, some people, and and, and, and there's actually a a Senate report, and you can go up on my website, uh, right on my homepage, and you can pull up the Senate report um, that, that talks about that, where the, you know, the Senate says that a successful electromagnetic pulse attack or, you know, a large solar flare hitting our grid could cause the death of 90% of the population, but you know. Now I have people, posted my, your website in yep. in the chat room on the watch party that I have going on. But for those listening off of that, how do they find your website? Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. Um, my website is civildefensebook.com. That'll get you there. So c-i-v-i-l-d-e-f-e-n-s-e-b-o-o-k.com. If you just Google civil defense book, you'll find me. You'll find my website. Um, and you'll find decades of federal documents talking about threats to the electric grid, and a lot of articles and a lot of studies and a lot of investigations that we've done into the threats to the electric grid.
1: Um, yeah, my, so getting
0: back to oh yeah, sure
1: Mike let me let me let me just interject. One of the things that I don't, I mean as much as I, I may like, Solar power or solar panels and solar industry, which is, I think, is another source energy that can utilize. The fact that the Chinese control the solar industry, that is a huge huge concern.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's a huge concern, Um, uh, and and you've seen a lot of this in, in the news recently about um, the Chinese companies and whether they're planting spyware and whether they're planting malware in equipment and um, software that's being used in many things in in the United States. But particularly uh, Congress, uh, Senator Angus King in Maine, recently asked uh, the the CEO of the North American Electrical Liability Company whether these Chinese companies had any software or hardware in the U.S. electric grid and they could not answer the question. They didn't know. <laughs> now, re- now remember, we've got 2,000 companies, you know, uh, that own parts of the electric grid. So, you know, that's 2,000 barn doors. The Chinese don't need 2,000 barn doors to drive through. They only need a few. So um, right now, our electric grid cannot answer the question as to whether there's any chinese equipment but let let me tell you something i'll tell you what there is in our electric grid chinese and russian malware Uh, this Mm -hmm. should really irritate everybody listening to me right now it irritates me to no end but this is the fact my friends this is the fact Um, that group that i talked about before foundation for resilient societies They filed a petition for rulemaking with the federal government saying, hey, the malware that the Chinese and Russians have planted on the grid should be removed. And um, so we fought this battle to try to have the malware detected, mitigated, and removed from the grid. And guess what? The grid fought us. So Edison Electric and uh, – Many companies in the electric grid actually fought this, and they won. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, in their final, final rule, uh, did not require that malware be detected, mitigated, or removed from the grid. So that means any malware that's on there right now, uh, the company at their option could go in and remove it, but there's no requirement that they do so.
1: Right, right. So, and you know,
0: with with, with and, and you're right. A lot of the solar components are are made in China. Uh, another, you know, but another problem that I think is more prevalent is the fact that people don't really understand what they're doing sometimes, um, unless they, you know, they've really done some research. So, a lot of the solar systems that are being installed on people's houses right now are not going to work in a blackout anyway. Because um, in states where they allow net uh, metering, so basically, you know you have the solar system up there, and while it's producing during the day, your meter runs backwards. So you're actually right. selling power back to the grid. And it sounds great. It really does. I mean, you know who doesn't want to pay less than electric bill and you know sell electricity back to the grid if you're producing more than you can use? Um, but the problem is with those systems, is that if the if there's a power outage if the grid goes down that whole solar goes down as well unless you've got a transfer switch and a whole off-grid system and batteries, which some people do. Right. Um, so if you are going to get solar for your house, make sure you look into that. You need to ask that question: What happens if there's a power outage? Will this system still work? And if the answer is no, then you know you need to you know decide whether it's worth it to you which you know, I would encourage you that it is, uh, to make sure that you've got a transfer switch and battery backup so that your system will still provide you and your family with power if, if the grid goes down.
1: But it's not, it, Mike, it's not just individuals that are going solar. A lot of major cities are basically moving in the solar panel way. I mean, yep. you, you see solar panels all over. That's going to, based on what you just said, that if if, if they don't have a transfer switch that that, you know, grid goes, the solar panel will not be able to withstand. So that would impact right. a huge, huge.
0: Right now some, and, and, and it all depends, you know, you, you see these big solar farms and, um, you know, it depends on who owns it and how it's set up. Um, There are some people that are doing it, or some areas that are doing it right. For example, there is a a town in California called Borrego Springs, and they Mm. have their own microgrid in their own generation. So what's happened is over the years, they're at the end of some transmission lines. So every time the grid went out anywhere down the line, their power went out. And finally, they got sick of it. So they created a microgrid. So if the power goes out, they can island off their town. And they can generate their own power, so that they at least have power. So there's right ways to do it, you know, with solar and wind as part of the mix. And I, you know, I think personally that you know, every source of energy that you know is available, you know, we we need to use it when it makes sense to do so. You know, so solar and wind won't work 24 hours a day. So you you know, you need to have something else um, in the mix. But um, this is high. What
2: go about
1: ahead,
2: go steam? Ahead. Yeah. Hypothetical. What about steam? What about what? Steam.
0: Oh, steam. Well, you need something to generate the steam. So steam is great. Um, steam, you know, can be generated by. Well, uh, nuclear plants generate steam. Some of the gas-fired plants generate steam to run a turbine. So, but you need something to to heat the steam up, you know, steam, um, unless it's geothermal, you know, coming from the earth, which that's great if if you happen to have that available, uh, you know, that's probably not much better than that, um, you know. I think they they've got a lot of that up in Iceland and um, um, you know some places in Scandinavia. So, uh, and, you know, there's some places in the U.S. that probably have uh, uh, sources of geothermal. So, geothermal is another really really good. Um, source. But yeah, you know, steam is fine, but you got to heat the water up
1: somehow. Uh, Mike, I, I want to touch on this really quick because I, I, I don't want to forget. I want to understand when you mentioned that there's a monopoly within the power company and they're holding us hostage. So basically, they're the T of the 70s basically controlling everything? And how many companies are they?
0: Well, there's, there are um, <laughs> very complex questions. So, you know, before I said there's approximately 2,000 companies in the electric grid, right. the number is probably yeah. a great deal higher than that. Now, as far as the bulk power system, which is what's regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and this nonprofit company I talked about, North American Electric Reliability Corporation, um, there are approximately 1,500 companies that are regulated there. Now, those 1,500 companies um, basically – are regulated by the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which is a nonprofit company that um, is paid for by the electric utilities. They pay basically dues into it. You know, they, they pay an assessment into NERC. That's where NERC gets its money to run. And as I said, they write their own standards. The industry writes its own standards. So NERC is the one that finally has to submit the standards to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to be, you know, approved. Um, but the companies in the grid, along with NERC, are the ones that actually write these standards. So this is a big – I don't know whether monopoly is, is the right word for it, but it, um, the way we're being held hostage here – is because the grid is not addressing threats that are direct threats right. to the lives of the American people, and the government, our Congress, has not um, been effective in fixing this problem, even though they've known for two decades that you know that there is a problem and the grid is threatened. So so people ask me, well, why is that? You know, how is it that Congress just doesn't come out with a law that, you know, the the grid needs to protect itself against these threats? And, you know, why doesn't Federal Energy Regulatory Commission do something? Well, what you have to understand is the electric utility industry is one of the most powerful lobbies in America – so in 2018, they spent 120 almost 121 million dollars on lobbying. They made 11 almost 12 million dollars in political contributions to members of the House of the Rep- Representatives and they made three and a half million dollars in political contributions to members of the Senate. So they spend an enormous enormous amount of money in political donations. And if you go go up to my website, I just wrote an article about Edison Electric Institute, which is the Uh lobbying group for the electric utility industry, and how much money they spent lobbying and who some of their members are. But if you scroll down to the bottom of the article, you're going to see a list of the senators and the representatives that took money last year. Uh from the Edison Electric Institute, which has members that are the Chinese government.
1: So um,
0: if you're listening to this, I want you to go up and look at this article, and then I want you to scroll down and see whether one of your representatives or one of your senators took money. If they did, what I would suggest you do is print this article off and send it to them along with a letter saying, hey, why did you take money from a lobbyist uh, who's got membership, you know, including the People's Republic of China. Please give the money back. Um, you know, I would definitely, you know, encourage you to, you know, know uh, who's controlling your politicians, you know, with, right. with their money. And, and this is just a great example. So, you know, people are constantly, you know, appalled that we, we can't, you know, we've got this this – you know, the electric grid, which is literally the life support for 327 million people in the United States. We cannot support our human population without it. And yet, it is not only not protected, but the lobbyists are lobbying against increased security for the grid. It just boggles the imagination. And I, I really hope that uh, you know, this is, you know, the people listening to me right now, I really hope that this is resonating with you that this is unacceptable. It's well, unacceptable and we don't Mike, have to take it.
1: We're going to do our best to really get you out there uh, and, and get our listeners to really come forward and help you help the American people and hopefully waking them up. To say that this is this is a serious issue. This is this is a more serious than anything that we can face right now. And um, so that's that's a mission that we're on a mission right now. And I'm 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 glad that that you're here and we're gonna follow up on this. But I want to touch on I want to touch on something else that really uh, um, I'm curious about. I know when I when I lived in Canada when I worked for the Canadian government. Um, they basically, and I had friends in, in 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 the New England area, and they said that the they would get their power from certain parts of Canada. Correct. And I know I so know you had mentioned when, when, Ohio, but I think uh, states like Maine, New Hampshire, they get their their power from Canada. Can you confirm that?
0: Yes. So when we talk about the grid, we're not talking about the United States electric grid. We're talking about the North American electric grid. So Canada and the United States um, are all part of this electric grid. So um, in, for example, in the 1989 Quebec blackout, which was caused by, you know, a relatively small solar flare. that blackout put great stress on the U.S. electric grid. It actually fried transformers as far away as Salem, New Jersey, um, and it caused uh, over 100 grid-related emergencies in the United States. So these grids are interconnected, uh, you know, the, the U.S. and Canada. So it's, it's, it's really the North American electric American. grid that we're talking about. Got and it. So, yes, we do, we do get power in some of our states uh, from Canada.
1: Got it. Now, where is the Canadian government compared to the, to the U.S. government in regards to securing their electrical grid?
0: About in the same place that we are, unfortunately. So, um, the you know, the, the, the whole thing is vulnerable. Um, what we need to focus on, like what we can control, is writing to our Mm -hmm. Um, members of Congress and senators and, you know, sending them, you know, uh, print off, find an article on my my blog that annoys you, print it off and send it to your your senator or your your representative. Because the thing is, anything we do to protect the U.S. electric grid is also going to spill over into Canada and vice versa. So if we've got anybody listening to us from Canada, you need to do the same thing you need to get in touch with your elected officials and say, Hey, and you know, uh, Canada has had several incidents. Uh, they had a, a, um, physical attack on the, on the uh, grid up in Quebec by a pilot, uh, who, Mm -hmm. who shorted out the grid, uh, Quebec hydro's grid from the air, uh, in 2013 or 14, I believe it was. And, um, you know, in addition to that, they, they've had uh, power outages from uh, space weather and, you know, all the other typical things we have power outages from. So Canada is not immune from power outages either. And, and if you're listening from Canada, uh, do, the same thing applies to you. Please do the same thing and contact your elected officials.
1: Yeah, no, no and I, I still have some contacts out of work. That's where I live for I uh, working for the Canadian government. And... Uh, I definitely um, will get in contact with you. Uh, I think one of the things with ca- the Canadian government right now is that we're really going to get anywhere with the current administration in Canada. So we're, we're not going we're, we're to get political here. <laughs> Let's, uh, yeah. no, and, 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 yeah. and,
0: you know, fair enough. But, the, you know, the other thing that I will say is that, you know, we've had in the United States, we've had both blue and red administrations that have failed us. We've had both blue and red Congresses that have failed us. This is a two-decade-long failure, and so there's plenty of blame to go around. We can blame Democrats. We can blame Republicans. That's not even useful. This is a bipartisan problem, and Democrats and Republicans are going to starve to death at an equal rate if the grid goes down. So um, you know, we actually do have in the U.S. Congress, we have both Democrats and Republicans who are concerned about this. Um, in the House of Representatives, for example, uh, we've got Yvette Clark, uh, who is a Democrat from New from York, Brooklyn, but is from very Brooklyn. concerned.
1: Yeah, yeah, from Brooklyn, very, New York. Very,
0: concerned about this. Um, and then, you know, we've got Ed Markey, a senator from Massachusetts, very Massachusetts. concerned about this. And then, yeah. yep on the on the other side of the aisle, uh, we've got Senator Ron Johnson, Republican, from who's held some great great hearings. Um, you know mm-hmm. About critical infrastructure protection Up in the great state of Maine We've got Senator Angus King Who's an independent Who's been very very concerned about this Particularly the cyber aspect of it So we do have You know both blue and red heroes That sure. are sure. And then we've got both blue and red Lunkheads You know who are just taking the money From the electric grid and the political Contributions and not doing anything to protect The American people So, you know, we need to hold them all accountable. Uh, It so happens where I live, um, you know, that uh, my senators and representatives are of one particular party, and um, I intend to hold them accountable. And if they, you know, don't do anything to protect my family, then uh, I will register my protest at the voting booth.
2: That's true. Well, what about taking this to Congress? I mean, um, I think if we have petitions, 500,000, we can get a court date with Congress to talk about this and call out these people that are taking money for this and taking money for that. I mean, these, right. this is the American people that we are talking about. We the people, not the right. Democrats, not the Republicans. They are. That's have right. Failed so we've, we, we, we've got to get we the people out
0: from under the TV sets and uh you know <laughs> writing a letter in and saying you know we need you to protect the grid and we Definitely. need hearings and you know that's yeah. that's what we need to do. M-
1: Michael totally we have Yeah. great 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 idea uh, caller 843. Uh we have 60 seconds to go. Michael it's been a pleasure um uh, education and I and I appreciate coming on um I look forward to uh, having you back and we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch because I'm going to be hounding my senators and individuals in Congress because we need to have the secure decision the for more, a, a bigger impact in these decisions that are made in, in Washington, D.C. So you can take... And, and I'm saying it to who listen, I will on top of this. Let me work with you. And anyone, everyone wants to uh, make sure that our grid is going to be upgraded, it's going to be secure, and we can really sleep well at night. So thank you again, and I appreciate uh, your website quickly.
0: It is civildefensebook.com. And thank you very much for having me, Cisco.
1: All right. Appreciate it. And fantastic. Next week, we'll have another interesting guest. Good night. God bless America. And we'll see each other next week. All right.